0: humans. How's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human podcast. This is episode 155. And I have been traveling and my equipment was not behaving very nicely when I conducted this interview. And so my guest who is uh, a man named Cauldron Fire. He is a Dom, a master Dom in the BDSM culture. Uh, he offered to record the session uh, and send me the MP3, which he did, and that was really great. So it's gonna sound a little bit differently than some of the previous episodes. Uh, but thank you to Cauldron for for being there in a pinch. <laughs> no pun intended. When uh, my equipment was not behaving nicely. So as I mentioned, BDSM culture. I I think for a lot of people who don't know much about the culture, myself included. Uh, you know, we get film and uh, film representation, and sometimes TV shows reference it and jokes and things like that. Uh, Rihanna had that song S N M. People know uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but whips and chains excite me. And that's actually the Whips and Chains Excite is what I chose to name this episode uh, because, well, you're going to find out why. So uh, Cauldron referenced a ton of books and some websites and uh, some locales where people go to... uh, I would say, celebrate the culture. And uh, so all that stuff is on heyhumanpodcast.com. You know, the links page is is the mighty sword of information. So definitely check that out if you want to learn more. Yeah, I really, I learned a lot. I didn't know a whole bunch. I would say that everything I knew about the uh, BDSM through uh, visual medium, through TV shows or movies, mostly movies, and occasionally in books, uh... I guess, as we talk about on the show, uh, the Fifty Shades of Grey made it uh, very, in uh, what do you call it, present in the culture. Uh, but as Cauldron will discuss, uh, <laughs> it's not exactly uh, the right representation. Anyway, really cool uh, conversation and enjoyed it very much. Uh, usual stuff, if you like a human and you probably do because you're listening to it, and I appreciate it, please take a second, go to iTunes, and rate and review there on the iTunes. It really, really helps iTunes change their algorithms around. The more uh, reviews I get, the more people will learn about the show because it'll just up it in in the ranks there on iTunes. What else? Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, I'm on all those places. Uh, for Twitter and Facebook and Instagram for myself, Susan Ruthism for the show. Uh, uh, it's just on Instagram and Facebook. And that's under Hey Human Podcast. <clears throat> you can email me, Susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. And I would love to hear from you. Please do that. It's great when I get your emails. Uh, What else? As I mentioned, I'm traveling. For those of you that might be in Seattle, on May 19th, I'll be performing uh, in an improv show at the Pocket Theater in Seattle. So definitely check that out. There's information about that on my susanruth.com website. And speaking of susanruth.com, also on iTunes, you will find Susan Ruth Music. I really don't know what those two things have to do with each other. Although you can find my music through SusanRuth.com. If you're interested to hear what kind of music I make, please go check it out. Get some tunes, man, on the iTunes, man. You can download it. You can buy physical copies. I think people still do that somewhere out there um so definitely do that uh if you shop amazon go to the amazon portal on the heyhumanpodcast.com website and do your amazon shopping through that amazon portal and it helps support hey human which would be really cool uh it's an ad-free podcast and it really every little bit helps so if you're already shopping on the old amazon definitely use the portal Um, i appreciate that what else i think that's about it really um I always forget something and realize it. Oh, I knew what I was going to mention. Speaking of bondage, there's a show on Netflix that just so happened in a grand quinky dink to be uh, debuting this month. It's called Bonding, and it's a fun and funny show about uh, the BDSM culture. So if you're interested in that, I suggest checking that out because it's pretty funny. All right. uh, That's about it. Without further ado, let's get to this. And as always, thank you for listening. And uh, I really appreciate it. And thanks for getting the word out and telling your friends and family and coworkers, and all the people about it. Um, Yeah, I appreciate it. All right. Here we go. Welcome to Hey Human. Thank you for being on. Thank you. Cauldron is your name. Yes. And you are a, would you consider yourself a leader in the BDSM community or just um, it's, you are a part of the BDSM community or where do you put yourself in that?
1: I've been a part of the community for 24 years. I prefer to class myself as an educator. Some look at me as a leader.
0: Okay, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those people that do not know. Okay, so uh, BDSM stands for bondage. Dominance, sadism, masochism, correct?
1: Yeah, it's a compound acronym for bondage, discipline, domination, submission, and sadomasochism.
0: What's the difference between discipline and domination?
1: I could discipline someone for doing something incorrectly or be someone's dominant or dominate them in... Everyday life or in relationships, the discipline can be physical, mental, spiritual, emotional. Some people need that for being bad. They like that. It helps them set up rules for their life that uh, they wouldn't normally go by. Whereas dominance, there are submissive personality types that appreciate someone setting those rules up. And then when they break them, that's where the discipline comes into play.
0: Okay. Now, are they always inclusive, or are they mutually exclusive, every aspect of this lifestyle?
1: How how do you mean, because there's several different ways that that could be
0: Well, like at? You, you might be a masochist, but uh, not a person that likes to be told what to do, or... Uh- You know what I mean? They're they're all within their own realms as well as being a whole highly functioning organism together, right?
1: Yes. There are masters, dominants, and tops, and then there are submissives and bottoms and slaves. Uh, A top is someone in a scene that is in charge of the scene whether it be having someone to clean the kitchen or an impact scene or fire play a rope scene whatever it is the bottom is the person that is experiencing that or having to do these things whereas with the domination and the submission that is where it's it can be for a scene but typically most people have that as more of a lifestyle thing you know, like my submissive, she is twenty four seven. So I set up the rules for her life. Now there are certain hard limits that she has in certain areas of her life that I I don't get involved in. Like with work, she is in management, and I you know when it comes to anything involving her work, I I don't tell her what to do. <laughs> that's her that's her area. Sure.
0: So. Sure, sure. But, but in every aspect of her private life, you, you're the dominant. Yes. I want to get back to the, the the beginning of it for you. But in general, when you're meeting someone, I assume there are group places you go to and all that. Otherwise, you would never be able to find each other. And, or something, it's not like you have a giant D or B or whatever on your head. <laughs> um, so how do you broach a conversation like that? Or is that just you're so used to being in that culture that It's really not a problem. And then how does one start? Like when you first began, how did you get in there, you know, and be able to feel like you knew how to articulate the language and navigate the rules and regulations? Because it seems like it can get very complicated very quickly. Uh,
1: It can. Things were so much different when I started. I mean, we're looking back at 1995. When you started when yeah. I started, and there you had IRC, um, Yahoo groups, things like this. It was very, very hidden. And now there's a website called fetlife.com, which is the, the black Facebook, they call it. Um, because it's a lot like Facebook, but it has this whole black uh, user interface that is just, you know, ooh, spooky because it's BDSM. And, but in all seriousness, it has changed things so, so much, given us a place to where we can all come together. And no matter what city you're in, chances are if you go on FetLife and look up your city, you're going to find munches. And a munch is just a vanilla get together where all of us kinksters will meet at a restaurant or sometimes they're somebody's home for like a potluck kind of thing. And just that's where a lot of the vetting takes place and where we get to know each other on a personal level and really determine, okay, who are we going to play with or, or build relationships? It's, it's like a big family get together that, and they're, They're always fun. It's, (laughs) But yeah, that's that's how we know each other, how we get to know each other. It's amazing. And since Fifty Shades of Grey come out, which Mm -hmm. is abuse, not BDSM, and it was written as a Twilight fan fiction. So people shouldn't take that as the gospel of what it really is. But it did bring it right into the forefront of American culture. Sure. And helped us to kind of come out of the closet quite a bit. Uh, there's the
0: BDSM, that's been around forever. Yeah. It's not like a new thing. I mean, go yeah. Yeah.
1: and and that's where the leather culture and the history and the term old guard comes into play. Uh, I went recently down to the leather leadership conference in Atlanta and a lot of people were like leather leadership? What is this where the people who, you know, are are leather workers get together and talk about where the industry is going. No, it's referencing the old World War II vets coming back and the birth of a lot of the biker gangs and the leather culture. And these people were were fresh home from a terrible, terrible war where they've seen unimaginable things. And building that brotherhood and that friendship. But more importantly, they come from this puritanical America into this war setting and in Europe where things were a lot more sexually free, even back in the 40s. And a lot of them were finding themselves and figuring out, well, you know, they were into the non-traditional sexual activities or they were gay or Whatever the case was, and it gave them commonality. So this actually started modern day, you know, what we call BDSM started because of World War II, and that's the old leather culture that a lot of people think of. Unfortunately, it's kind of gone to the thoughts of uh, the village people, and you know, dressed up in their all their outfits, yeah. the 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 sure. yeah, so.
0: Ass with chaps, and things.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it's interesting, you know. Isn't it a lot older than that? I mean, you-
1: no, it absolutely is. It's been around. Uh, there's cave paintings from you know 10,000 BC of people being flogged. And really? I, yes, I'm actually doing a uh, helping with DomCon in Los Angeles, which is uh, in early May. But we're doing the history of kink, and that's pretty much where we're starting. Because, yes, self-flagellation or flagellation of others, and not just for the purpose of punishment. Everybody's familiar with the cat of nine tails, but it actually goes way beyond that. It's merging the spiritual with the ecstatic, because you will go into almost a trance. I mean, there's a lot of the, the Southern Baptist hymnals. That was written, most of the songs in there were actually written by someone who would pace a maze, flogging herself, and these songs would just come to her. And there was a young musician there, a boy that would write down what she was singing and then compose music to it. Absolutely Whoa. fascinating. Yeah, I can't remember her name, but it was in the the 1800s, mid mid to late 1800s, I believe. Uh.
0: I'm definitely going to look that up and put it on the links page. Wow. <laughs> That's
1: fascinating. Yeah, so you you are correct. It does go back obviously thousands and thousands of years, but as far as the modern day BDSM culture, I mean the term itself BDSM was first used in 1991 in a Usenet post. Oh, really? So, yeah, so kind of long come along with the birth of the internet.
0: Somebody wrote BDSM LOL question mark?
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: you said something about that. I never got around to reading Fifty Shades of i but I've, of course heard a lot about it. Um, and you said that that was abuse, not BDSM. What? Why do you say that?
1: Because, well, one, there was no. This comes from. One person's fantasy, like I said, Fifty Shades was written as fan fiction. I mean, admittedly, by the author, it was fan fiction for Twilight, mm-hmm. and in it, Christian Grey is a very jealous. I mean, he's putting trackers on her, <laughs> on Anastasia, so okay. you know he's he's knowing where she is. He's manipulating her with his anger and. Yeah, you know, there's a little bit of gaslighting going on. That is not at all what we do. There's there's no mani- manipulation. Everything is consented to. I mean, he sells her car and and buys her a new one because he doesn't like it cuz he's some crazy billionaire. Um
0: I'm sure my best friend would sell my car and buy me a new one if she could. She doesn't like my car.
1: <laughs> but you know, she loved her little car. She worked hard to get it or it was a gift. I don't remember exactly. But you know, she didn't consent to that. And that's the thing, is we are one hundred percent about consent. And if it's if you don't consent to it, then it does not get done, or at least it shouldn't. But the the great thing about Fet Life and having such a big community is those rare times when consent is broken, there's a community to stand behind you.
0: Oh, and
1: okay. yeah, there's safety in numbers. Sure. So so you've got protection.
0: So when you say that with your girlfriend or your partner, um, that you are her dominant and she's your submissive and that you orchestrate. What she is and isn't allowed to do—not in the course of her work, but in her regular life. What does that look like? Uh,
1: it could be anything from keeping her house clean because that's an issue for her. <laughs> um, where we're going, what we're eating, when we're going, when we're eating. Um, activities, of course, sexual domination, sexual submission, is is part of that. But I. I like to kind of keep them separate for conversational pieces because most people automatically think, well, you're just somebody that likes to have kinky sex. And that's not at all part of it for me. By at heart, I'm a teacher and I'm a helper. And so my primary job as her dominant is to help her in areas that she is lacking I have not only 24 years of experience with BDSM, I also worked in mental health for 20 years, starting out as a floor tech. Well, actually starting out as a volunteer in a, in a long-term drug rehab and then moving into a psych hospital and being a floor tech and writing a, an educational book and moving on up into administration. And my, the main thing that I did there in admin was employee and patient education. So a lot of the social anxieties that she has in the the year and a half, over a year and a half that we've been together, I have greatly improved her ability to relax in a public setting, to become more comfortable with who she is and build her self-esteem. Those are the things that I'm proud of. Those are the things that give back to me all the hard work that I put in. In my podcast, I tell people and in, in educational classes that I teach, you know, the dominant has to put in twice as much work as the submissive. We have to stay ahead of the game. It's not that we just sit back and relax and we're served hand and foot 24-7. That's not the way a healthy relationship goes. It's not how what I consider a good dominant is. And going back to Christian Grey and Fifty Shades of Grey, There's a huge difference between being domineering and being dominant. If you think back, most people can think back to being a teenager and having those high school boyfriends or girlfriends that were just pissed off, jealous, always checking in on you, accusing you of things. That's being domineering, not dominant. Dominant is where I'm confident. I know what I want. And if I don't get it, I'm not going to pitch a big fit and act like a a pissed off teenager because I didn't. But I'm going to use my confidence to help build your confidence and help you to turn yourself into the best version of you possible.
0: So let's say I uh, seek you out. And I'm a submissive, and I say I'm terrible about cleaning my bathroom. Let's just throw something out there. I'm—that's not true. I, I actually don't mind cleaning the bathroom, except the bathtub. Hate cleaning the bathtub. It's a chore. I'll do it, but I hate it. Uh-huh. So you come along, and you're like, you will clean this bathtub, and I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. And if I don't do it, what would be a punishment for that?
1: Well, we would have to negotiate that. Uh, okay, but- it's
0: usually a is it corporal or is it more psychological or does it just depend or what the person
1: it depends on what works best for you and what what we have negotiated Mm. if corporal punishment is the thing or you know mind screwery as (laughs) to to keep it a little pg-13 rated here instead of going all the way with it um It's It just really depends on the dynamic that you and I have that we negotiate. At Mm -hmm. cauldronscrypt.com slash survey, there is a wonderful survey that goes over all kinds of different types of punishments and kinks, and it's called a limits and interest survey. And anybody that I'm going to have an actual DS relationship with, We will go through that together. I have one that I constantly update about every two months because things change. And we would sit down with your survey, with my survey, and see where we meet up on things Mm -hmm. Um, so that it is 100% consensual. And consent, of course, can be withdrawn at any second by you saying red or me saying red or whatever Mm -hmm. the safe word may be, cauliflower, I don't know, rutabaga.
0: (laughs) Eggplant. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um.
1: On that, there's a wonderful (laughs) meme that says, if she's screaming cauliflower, rutabaga, lettuce, strawberry, she's probably forgotten the safe word.
0: That's hilarious uh, okay, well, where did you realize where in your life did you have that moment where you went oh okay i'm I'm this thing over here, little left to center
1: uh the the actual defining moment um that I realized it was when I was eighteen. Um, because I thought that everything that I did prior to that was just normal and what everybody did. And then I met someone and I was living in Georgia, uh, and we ended up, I was living in a little bitty town in Georgia and we ended up going to Atlanta to a, uh, warehouse party. It was just, you know, some old abandoned warehouse that was taken over again. Remember 1990s interview with a vampire, Buffy, the vampire, all these vampire movies, And so I was huge into the vampire thing. I just, I loved it. I thought it was cool. And then I meet this woman and she was four years older than me. And we end up at this huge warehouse party full of, I don't know, 200 people maybe. And everybody is all goth and wearing their fangs. And it was, I don't want to say it was a big orgy because it was so much more than that, there was a lot of sex going on, but I just had this moment of realization that, wow, this is not typical. This is not societal norm, and there were people there of all ages, I mean, uh, 18 to 80 <laughs> they were, they were, yeah. That was, there was this little bitty old sweet woman that I remember. That turned around, she had gold fangs. I was like, "Oh, that's, that's cool." Uh, so yeah, that's where I got into the scene. Um, looking back at my childhood, there are a lot of indicators that, yeah, I had a, a different kind of appetite. But the thing is, is it's not really that different.
0: Well, I have this quote. It's it's a quote by Jay Wiseman. It says, "A pervert is anyone kinkier than you are," which I thought was hilarious.
1: Yes, yeah, so that's absolutely true. Uh, <laughs> wow.
0: <laughs> you bring up a good point because you, you say you, wanted, you went into this party and there were all these people dressed goth and, you know, sure, wings and black hair, or whatever, that people, I think that's a preconceived notion of what this lifestyle uh, draws, what kind of person. But in fact, I mean, you referenced that the 50 shades of gray and you know billionaire businessman but the thing about this culture is that it's not just people that are goth it's it's doctors it's lawyers it's scientists it's teachers you know everything yes
1: absolutely absolutely i
0: I do think that people want to lump it in this this sort of insane subculture but when in fact the the aspect of it might be a subculture, but in fact, it's quite mainstream for a lot of people.
1: And that's that was a, a point that I was going to head toward was what people don't realize is if you have ever scratched someone during sexual activity, pulled someone's hair, spanked someone, or had these things happen to you, you've participated in acts of BDSM. People just turn their nose up at it because of their preconceived notions. I have thousands and thousands of listeners, and I would say half of them are monogamous Christian couples. I keep my show clean. I do not use any foul language. I don't get into any uh, nasty graphic descriptions, or because I have those listeners, and as far as I know, I have the only show about BDSM that is like that, because. I wanted to bring it to the masses as a Christian myself and a, a former ordained Southern Baptist youth pastor. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was important to me that all people find fulfillment in their relationship, no matter what it is. Uh, I practice polyamory, but that's for me, and I'm not going to push that, oh, you're monogamous, Well, you you just don't understand the joys of polyamory. And when I say polyamory, I mean truly, you know, multiple loves, not swinger. I'm not yeah. a swinger.
0: We There's had a, polyamory on the show, so you, yeah. Yeah, my listeners have, have have learned about that already, which is great. And I mean, it's okay to expound on it, but yes, that's yeah. a very good point to make.
1: Yeah, there's a huge difference between polyamory and swinging, so.
0: Sure, sure. And your show, Cauldron's Crypt, uh, is the, it's a BDSM positive show. It's a podcast. Yes. I wanted to make sure. And I'll put links to that, too, on Hey Human Podcast. Cool. Uh, how, um, okay, so you realize at a relatively young age, 18 is pretty young. Did something, I, I know this is a big quote, very personal question, but a big question in a lot of people's minds that there must have been some sort of form of abuse or some sort of, a, you know, distant parent or some sort of disciplinarian <laughs> babysitter that, you know, tweaked the brain. And in fact, in many of the I, I found this really fascinating before um, when I found out I was going to talk to you, I was looking some stuff up and. The word psychopathy and you know uh, psychosexual abnormality—all those words kept coming up, and I thought, well, that's really interesting, because I think if you are, as you said, um, in a place of consent, it takes it out of that realm. But there are those who think that it's a psychosis, right? That why in God's name would anybody want to be hurt during a sexual or find sexual gratification from pain or? but anyone who's ever been tattooed knows how addictive it is. So that's certainly pleasure and pain mixed together. Anyway, I don't know what the question is, but I think you get what I'm saying. Uh, The, the,
1: the question that I'm getting there is (laughs) did I suffer any childhood trauma? And yes, Dr. Freud uh, did suffer an immense amount of childhood trauma, but um you know, and I just say that out of jest. I, I may have sounded serious if I did. I apologize, uh, but no. Going going into Freudian psychology, yes, there is a lot of that, but that's that's only a percentage and less than the majority of the people that are into BDSM are mentally ill or suffer, have suffered some great tragedy in their lives, and being someone that that has worked extensively in inpatient and outpatient psychiatric facilities. I recognize it very quickly. But how I I view it, and most people can relate to this explanation of it and and why we do the things that we do. Mm -hmm. Do you enjoy baths? Mm
0: -hmm. If they're hot baths, I like very hot
1: water. (laughs) Very hot water. Now, when you first stick your toe into that very hot water does it send a little shiver up your spine and uh, it
0: hurts and yeah it's like ah but yeah. you know you kind of you just sort of bear down and get through it
1: yeah but then it feels good and you well, just good. you yeah. submit and you slide right down into that the hot water and it's awesome yeah, that's right. that's no different than what we do and most people can relate to that you know getting in a hot tub or a hot bath it's relaxing it's enjoyable it feels amazing
0: even tattoos when i had my tattoo and i have one uh, in my lower abdomen which is right you know over the pubic bone and all that and it goes across and and it took about Well, it took a long time and I I had to endure it and I really wanted it and I love it to this day. Mm -hmm. And I tell you what, I nearly passed out about three times during that tattoo. And after it was done and I left and I had to go to a a show that night and I remember sitting there feeling so high. I wasn't (laughs) on anything, but it was just the adrenaline in my body was just like, woo, that was something, you know?
1: Yeah, when your endorphins get activated and you're pumping serotonin and dopamine, uh, all these oxytocin it does create a very very natural high and that's why uh, most BDSM players will not allow any type of foreign substances to be you know partaken of before a scene. We want that natural high we don't want, it, it, to be drunk or, or stoned or, you know, whatever, meth, pills, no, that's that's not who we are. That's not what we do. Most clubs won't allow it. Fetish clubs will, but true dungeons will not. There's a big difference there.
0: Explain what a dungeon is.
1: Uh dungeon is a public or private play space that has equipment designed for our... uh type of fun activities, whether it's the St. Andrew's Cross, which is a cross that looks like a big X, or a spanking bench, which is often made out of a modified sawhorse, a wooden bench uh, that puts you in a perfect position to be spanked, um, chain spider webs to strap people to, or hoists to suspend people uh, by rope, not the big meat hooks through the back or other parts of the body, which is common in some places and something that I would really like to try one day, even though I'm not at all. Oh yes. I'm not at all. (laughs) I'm not at all a masochist. So I don't switch. I'm always, I am a true sadist. Uh, So I really enjoy inflicting pain on others that others enjoy receiving there are actually four classifications of sadists. So I would be classed as a level two.
0: What are the other I mean, obviously one through four, but what yeah. are they okay, uh, what are
1: they? Level one is the person that watches America's funniest home videos and people are falling down <laughs> and you you get some enjoyment out of that. Uh, people le- who
0: laugh at other people's pain. Well, that, yes. you know, that's a really good point to make because those shows are hugely popular. I, I get very uncomfortable watching people in pain and, and suffering. And so I wouldn't be in that realm, but I know so many people love that stuff.
1: Yeah. And that's well, and you just said something very important. When someone is suffering, then they're being, someone is causing them harm or they're causing themselves harm. When they're enjoying it, it's being hurt. We have that differentiating terminology there, hurt versus harm. But the level two or class two, which is what I am, is someone who enjoys inflicting pain on someone else that they enjoy themselves. Level or class three is a rapist. They get off on inflicting pain on on somebody that doesn't want it. And then class four is someone who will torture you to the point of killing you and then have sex with your corpse.
0: So three and four would not necessarily be part of your culture. It's just one of the, it's like the extreme end of something.
1: Three and four is absolutely not part of my culture and people that we will make sure are banned and punished for their deeds legally. We will report them to the authorities. We do not tolerate that kind of behavior And with the blowing up of the culture, it did for a little bit become a place for those types of people to try to come and hide. But uh, they've hit a wall because they've realized oh, I can't, there's no way that I can fake it. (laughs) You can't, you can only act like you're one of us for so long before you're found out.
0: So something like a snuff film would not be part of your culture.
1: Uh, not a real snuff film, no.
0: Although there are people that want to have that happen to them, which is also an interesting.
1: There are, there are, and that would that goes in. You're talking about mental illness and all these terms that you that you were researching. The DSM-5, which is the Diagnostical Statistical Manual for diagnosing mental illness. With the release of the DSM-5, thanks to the NCSF, which is the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom, that's ncsfreedom.org, they have worked very diligently to have acts of BDSM taken out of the DSM so that it's no longer just because you enjoy being spanked, that doesn't mean that you're committable. Now, no. if it is something, it's still in there in a way that if you if it harms your life, if it gets in the way of your everyday life and it's a problem, such as an amputation kink, where you either want to have a limb amputated or you, you get off on amputating somebody else's limb, yeah, that's a problem. That's a diagnosable mental illness, absolutely.
0: That's body dysmorphia times... Right up there. That's a big
1: one. Yes, absolutely. But uh, there is no harm in being flogged, or especially when it's a cathartic flogging and it takes you into this massive release. And that's one of the things that I specialize in that is part of the therapy session. I mean, in Russia, they're using flogging with great success to help treat addiction because of Crocodile. Which is a, a, a an absolutely horrific drug. It's worse than anything that we've got in the United States. But
0: great, yikes! Yeah, I would say if they have therapeutic flogging. I just picture like somebody tying kittens on the end of it. Like, meow. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> meow. Oh, that's
1: nice. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> well, I have toys. We'll travel. If you ever want to try it out, I'd be more than happy. Kitten flogging? <laughs> <laughs> no, see, yeah. Uh, yeah, women. I think my, sorry, good. Uh, ch- children and animals cannot consent. Therefore, right. exactly. <laughs> but I do have, or, or I, I used to have a flogger. I gave it to somebody uh, that was made out of stuffed kittens, or not stuffed <laughs> kittens, but dolls. Um, yeah, like yeah, yeah, stuffed animal. Yeah. Yeah, you know I what I'm talking it. about. Yeah, yeah. little beanie babies or something. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Oh yeah. Lord, that was hard.
0: <laughs> when when pleasure and pain commingle. Mm-hmm. They do in a lot of cases when they and you brought up spanking during sex or scratching and pull, hair pulling and all that stuff. And that is a level, obviously, of, of, of that combo. How do you keep it from becoming an addiction? Uh, because, you know, we know the brain is, is sort of geared up to head in that direction with a lot of things. So if you really like being spanked and it keeps it's then it gets to a point where that isn't enough. Is that a concern that things have to keep elevating? I mean, or conversely, even with uh, telling somebody what to do, when is it enough? You know, when, how do you toe the line? I guess is what I'm asking. That's
1: that's a very very common question and a very good one. As with anything, yes it it does elevate by natural progression and and just in the thoughts of what somebody can take, um what their pain level is. And typically women's pain level is going to be much higher than men's. Sorry guys, but it's true.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's the reason women have the babies.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. But regardless of that, it, it will start out, you know, kind of mild for most people, mild to medium, and it does increase, but it gets to a point. You're talking about the human body here. So, it's still going to have its maximum threshold and there is time in between each scene. So it's not like the ramp up is for an individual event, not necessarily for, for your life. So say on a pain scales, you know, use the medical pain scale one to 10. If You start out and you're a five. You like paint at about a five level, starting at the beginning of a scene, what we call a scene, a play session. And then it goes up to, say, a seven. And you kind of like to hover around a seven after you get warmed up and these endorphins and things start flowing. Well, sure. The more you do it, you might end up preferring to start out as a seven and going up to an eight. But that doesn't mean that at any point in your life you're ever going to shoot for ten. It doesn't work that way for most people. Uh, and and I mean maybe five mm, percent of people will continue to push and push and push and push. And those are the ones that end up with, you know, showing all kinds of crazy pictures on Fet Life. And when I say crazy, it's actually a compliment. But it's yeah, it's rare. It's not something that you have to worry about. It's not like, okay, today I did cocaine and tomorrow I'm selling my body so that I can get more cocaine.
0: Although that happens for sure. Yeah. Like like anything, there's a progression for anything. It's, it's
1: it does happen, but it's not to that extreme and it's not as common.
0: What's the most extreme thing you've ever witnessed?
1: Oh, wow um
0: without naming names obviously
1: (laughs) yeah no uh we're we're very anti-outing people of course um somebody's 30th birthday 30 licks from 30 people so a total of 900 hits uh
0: whoa actual lashing
1: uh there were there were hand spankings and paddles and whips yes okay a single tail see- like a like a bull whip
0: yeah um, mm-hmm.
1: yeah it ended i think it ended at about 5 500 uh 450 500 somewhere in there because there was too much blood she no, was a, a f- she was a very very intense masochist a a true masochist she also had many, many she was about to pass out from just the, the amount of orgasms that she had.
0: Whoa. So it definitely has this. Uh, the, the pain is attached to sexual gratification.
1: Absolutely. By definition. Always. No. That's what it's. Oh, okay. No. When you get into the the more cathartic side of things, it no, it's a non-sexual event. But for a lot of people... It is. I become very sexually aroused by being a sadist. I mean, by definition, and going back to the Marquis de Sade, where the namesake of sadism comes from. Yes, that was, it's a sexual stimulation, sexual gratification from inflicting pain on others, which sounds horrible until you realize that it's what they want. It's not. Yeah, you know, I don't enjoy it at all if it's not something that the other person enjoys. So, and which is is topping to go back to the beginning and the definitions. That is where I'm a top, as opposed to being a dominant, which is that teacher and you know things of that nature.
0: Mm-hmm. So you said before that you are also you consider yourself a Christian. Um, so where does where does your BDSMness? your christianness uh, how they intersect because it seems like i mean religion has a long history of psycho sexual fanaticism yeah i mean it seems like all that stuff intertwines all over the place
1: uh, it does and f- for me because of my studies and prepping to go to seminary and realizing the, and this is a very controversial topic for Christians, but the contradictions that are in the Bible and realizing that just because it says at the end of it, that no man, you know, shall add to or take away without this damnation to hell, basically, of course, paraphrasing here, but it, It says that nobody can add or take away without punishment. It doesn't say that it will not happen. So with the contradictions of the Bible, there are a lot of really good parables in there, a lot of amazing lessons. For me, the foundation of what it is to be a Christian is to believe in Christ. And that Christ came, born of a virgin, was crucified, and three days later rose. And that is the main takeaway in my belief and my faith in the, in the story of Christ and, and that it is real and in a higher power being God. So a lot of the other things were written in that time. I mean, what Deuteronomy or Leviticus gives strict guidelines on how to treat a slave, and it's not talking about a consensual slave. Uh, obviously, in today's society, we know that you should not own another person. And that's, again, we have masters and slaves in what we do, but it is consensual. So there's a difference there. You know, talking about uh, all the, the homosexuality bashing and all of these things, and they always want to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And, you know, it's just... My God is a God of love, and that—that's the most important part. So, differentiating Christianity and BDSM or any other part of life, I think it's all a gift from God. So that's the—that's okay. the, that's the avenue that I take it. I absolutely love did, that did movie. You re-
0: Yes. Such a great movie. So, is that a true, a good de- de- depiction of that relationship between the secretary and Maggie Gyllenhaal? Jillin, Gyllenhaal. Do I don't even know how to? Yeah, Maggie Hall.
1: and. Uh, um, uh, awesome. Uh,
0: What's his name? <laughs> What's his name? Um, uh, I love him so much. James
1: Spader. Oh, James Spader. James
0: Spader. And yes. I love that movie. And, you know, he's telling her how many peas she can eat and how much mashed potato and what, you know, all that kind of thing. Is that sort of a, did they portray that well?
1: Yes. her And her dedication there where she sits at the desk and that is, yeah, great. well, and that's the, to me, that is one of the best presentations on his part of BDSM and where he takes her and he bathes her. You know, you you think a lot so many people think that well, oh, you want to be one of those dominants in that BDSM stuff cuz you just want everything handed to you and done for you. No. Look at James Spader's character how he picks her up, he takes her, he bathes her. You know, she earned his respect by doing that, by being that person that Okay. I'm not, she's, she's actually a very strong person to sit there that long. I mean, in the movie, it shows her wetting herself and, you know, she's starving herself because she wants so badly to give him that dedication of submission. But then what does he do? He takes basically what would be considered a submissive act because he's bathing her and caring for her and bringing her back to health. Because she has broken herself for him. And I think that's kind of a wrong way to say it. She didn't break herself for him. She saw a strength in him that she needed. And so she chose to break herself for her own empowerment. Yeah. I'm is just, the way it, that I take it.
0: Yeah. It does seem more transformative than about him. I mean, it seems about her than about him. It's at least how I interpret it.
1: Yes, exactly. Um,
0: Yeah, it's so fascinating. It it really is. Um, I think the reason why I wanted to ask you about the Christian thing is because I think for a lot of people in any sort of subculture, it's very easy for us to go, oh, well, that's different and therefore weird and nothing like me. And I think it's important to show where intersections happen because um, it's the only way we're going to survive as a human
1: race, you know, I agree. There's, there's so much commonality. Uh, There's a great book called the act of marriage. That is what some would consider misogynistic because a lot of people consider the Bible misogynistic, which in reality, there's a lot of it that is, but given the time period that it was written in, um, but if you, if you leave that out, it's also super violent. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you leave out the misogyny and translate it into modern day times where men and women are equals, uh, and go at it from that perspective, really a household is going to work best, in my opinion, if it is a partnership, but there has to be, when there's two people, there has to be one person that gives a deciding vote when there's, Such a butting of heads and neither person will come to terms with it. So say my wife and I, I'm kind of old school and traditional. So is she. So in our courtship, our dating, it it was already predetermined way before we ever got married. We are partners. We will talk ad nauseum about whatever issues come up. But when it comes down to it, if we cannot come to an agreement then I will get the final say. And that works for us, and that doesn't take anything away from her. She agreed to that, and it wasn't out of submission. It wasn't out of being a frail woman because she's one of the strongest women I've ever met in my life. It is out of, okay, I'm, I was raised a little traditional. You were raised a little traditional. And you know what? In 18 years, I don't think I have ever once used that complete veto power because communication is the key to a healthy relationship. We have absolutely no secrets from each other. Every person that I've ever met in the vanilla world, they're embarrassed about things. They have all these secrets. We don't have any of that. There is. We have a saying: "There's nothing too weird to talk about in this house," and there really isn't. I mean, there is nothing hidden.
0: I have found that of all the the people I've spoken with in the various subcultures of things of interest to me, um, that that is an underlying theme. That in uh, cis normative relationships, there seems to be a lot of secrecy and walls and, and personal uh, you know, things that just aren't talked about. And in all these other, other relationships that are um, beyond the norm, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever that, that is so much more uh, not only intuitive, but just communicative and uh, more free to, to feel like there'll not be the judgment.
1: So, yeah. And, and, seem to be
0: happier in a lot of ways.
1: And going back, going back to Freud for a a very sad and funny story with the fundamentalist Christian household that I grew up in, nothing was allowed to be talked about. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, none of it. I actually, I become sexually active when I was 13. young? yeah, and when, because nothing was talked about, so I was going to find out about it on my own. Absolutely. Um, but when I was uh, 15 no I was 16 just turned 16 I had a huge crush on my sister's best friend they're 4 years older than I am and in my house if a feminine hygiene commercial come on we had to change the channel immediately like or suffer punishment for it it was that strict my mom and my sister held uh, kept their Their products in a hot water heater closet that was in my mother's bathroom, and there was a lock on it. We weren't allowed to to go in there. I didn't know what any of this stuff was. So I'm sitting on the floor in the living room. My sister and her best friend are sitting on the couch going through a photo album, and this commercial for MaxiPads come on the TV, and I didn't change the channel. I looked at my sister and I said, what is wrong with you women? She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, why can't you guys hold your bladders? She's like, "Oh hi. she's like, you started dating Susan when you were 13. I know you've been sexually active for three years. You don't know the answer to that. I'm like, what are you talking about? And she is already beat red at this point because again, we don't talk about these kind of things in this household. Sure. And she jumps up, grabs encyclopedia, drops at my lap and lap, and runs out the door, embarrassed. And then her best friend Catherine, who I have this um you know huge crush on, walks over and pats me on top of the head and says, "Oh, and I thought you were so close to becoming a man." And leans oh, down and no. gives me a mom kiss on the forehead and walks out of the house laughing her ass off, and oh, I'm sitting no. here looking at this encyclopedia going, "Holy
0: crap!" You I know, I always think I'll, of the uh, the Great South Park moment when uh, the teacher. Oh yeah. Uh, he says, "I don't trust anything that bleeds for five <laughs> days." And <doesn't> die.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I was just amazed, but that. Nothing was talked about. And so I need that communication.
0: Do your parents know that you were in this lifestyle? Are they still with us?
1: Yeah, they're they're still around. Um, My mom and I are very close. She is still a fundamentalist Christian. And I've talked to her a few years ago when I was doing some professional topping. Uh, as a as a pro dom, and I explain the spiritual side of it of what I do, and because that is all a hundred percent non sexual, I will top both men and women. I am very much a cisgender male, so it's so
0: wait. So that means does that have a sexual component to it then? Or even though you consider yourself heterosexual, you would still as a dom. It's not in that
1: same realm? No. When, when, I am, when I'm providing pro services and being paid for it, or when I'm what they call service topping, which is just providing someone with a scene that they, you know, you're stressed out and it's a lot like getting a massage. You know, it doesn't have to be this extreme, painful, bloody thing that people often think of. A lot of people will compare being flogged to to getting a massage or being fire cupped. Fire cup is ancient, uh, you know, Asian medicine. Right. I do fire. I'll be doing fire that's cupping.
0: The they for this.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll be doing fire cupping later this evening on my wife. So it's not, and that's very much not sexual. I mean, that puts her to sleep, but it also provides this extreme relaxation and you know, most of the things that we do come from some type of of meditation or, or, or things like that. Now, when I'm playing with certain people who do need a little bit more push to get into that headspace, and it's a little bit rougher, I'm a blood fetishist. I'm not afraid of blood. So I don't mind playing in that. And by that, I don't mean that I'm just, you know, going to Paint my body in it and look like Brendan Fraser from the movie uh, A Darkly Noon, which is crazy and phenomenal. It's got Ashley Judd in it. But yeah, it's a totally different experience. And when I How do
0: you protect yourself from sexually transmitted diseases if you're doing blood play?
1: Standard precautions with working in the medical field. You know, I, I know all of the precautions to take. I was also a phlebotomist for many years. So I was I was the vampire that worked at the hospital.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Because, I mean, I think that's something that people would wonder, you
1: know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, you just follow medical procedures. And that's another thing is we are huge on education as a community. There are always classes. There's 101 classes. There's, you know, rope classes rope play or rigging and classes on everything that we do. I know in Nashville at the Mark, they're huge on education, 1763 in Atlanta. Again, uh, the woodshed in Orlando, one of my favorite clubs in the world. And yeah, it's, it's all about becoming educated and it people, if you don't want to take the time to learn, then you're going to harm somebody and please don't get involved. Just, just stay away. Uh, practice on yourself and and hurt or harm yourself. Don't do it to somebody else. Um, it takes a lot of work. I mean, I'm considered mm-hmm. a master by my peers, and it's because of the amount of learning and education that I've put into it.
0: So I kind of skipped over. Does your do your parents know that you're in the oh, culture?
1: I, my dad, no. I but I don't. Really, speak with him. Um, and my mother, like I said, she knows that I do the professional topping from time to time. Okay. Yeah. But as far as like the the polyamory and things of like that, the uh, Wicca has a an amazing credo. It's simple: harm none. Right. And I, I tend to live by that. I don't want to harm anybody. Telling her that. Okay. You know, my wife and I, my wife loves, she's a voyeur. She loves watching me play with other people, whether it's sexually or non-sexually. She absolutely loves it. So, uh, you know, that's good for us that's not good for my mother to hear. She doesn't have any business being in my sex life. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I didn't mean detail oriented. I meant just sort of, that she know that you are in this subculture of life and is she supportive of it?
1: Uh, She, she does a little bit. It, it took probably six months of getting her to understand what it's really about because she's the type of person that, well, I just bluntly, she's pretty close-minded about things.
0: Sure,
1: you know she you just got
0: that granny with the gold teeth, to call her. Well, <laughs> the collar. Well, she's
1: <gold> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, she'll be seventy-five in July, so right, uh, she was she was born in a different time, and she still uses some terminology from back in those days that shouldn't be that's not acceptable today, and you know, and that that doesn't mean that she's a bigot or that she's a racist or anything of that nature that's just the terminology that was okay back then and you know it's just it's just a different time period and uh
0: what about your sister Is she's she's supportive of you and who you are
1: uh yeah she is my sister and my brothers in fact oh, you have- yeah. I've got, I've got three older brothers and an older sister. So, um, are
0: any of them in the culture or just another, uh, I don't want you to out them, but I'm
1: no, my my middle brother, he's a kingster in his own way. Absolutely. But he, he doesn't attend any events. He's, you know, he doesn't get out and do stuff like that. No.
0: Right. Well, it's just so fascinating, all of it um, for sure. And I'm trying to remember the movie Nine and a Half Weeks. I feel like that had an element as well. I just I remember watching that movie when I was younger and just being like, what is happening? I'm feeling all these fuzzy places on my body right now. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: because
0: yeah. I'm, I'm part voyeur.
1: <laughs> yeah, hey, Nine and a Half Weeks is on the, the list of what some consider good lifestyle movies. It's been forever ago since I've seen it, so I don't really remember what my opinion of it. Is <laughs> or yeah. was?
0: I just—it's I, been a while since i say it too. I just recall uh, Mickey Rourke picking out things for Kim to wear and um, blindfolding her and things like that, and it was all very, you know, sensual and hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cauldron, tell. Okay, so we've mentioned different places that they can do some research. I'm going to put links on HeyHumanPodcast.com. Uh, is there any definitive? Uh, thing that you want to say as far as if people want to start the diving into this or just learning more about it maybe they don't want to experience it but they want to know more
1: well a little self-promotion
0: yes please
1: cauldronscript.com i've got a podcast i've been running there for three years it's a 101 uh that goes into a lot of detail about many many different topics um highly recommend that
0: and that's with a K. Cauldron with a K. And I'll put yeah. links, in
1: like I said. Well, I, I, I bought both domains. So if you spell oh. Cauldron okay. or encrypt correctly, it will redirect to my website. But Master Arcane has a great book. It's Igniting the Fire, the Art of Romantic Submission. Michael Mackey, M-A-K-A-I, has a book called Dominance and Submission that's really good. The main thing is... Doing your due diligence and educating yourself and not being afraid to experience come, you know, as, as with everything, if you open your mind, you're going to find some relation to it and you're going to re- have relation to other people. And that's the thing is the relationships that I have built within this community are the ones that have stood the test of time.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: we have so much in common, but more importantly, we're open. We do not judge. Sure, you know, right? The, the like I said, those that harm people, those that uh, abuse animals, those that want to, you know, have animals right. as a play partner. No, 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 no. Those that abuse children, we are so firm against that. But as long as you're Participating in consensual play with an adult, then we're not going to judge.
0: Yeah, and I and I think it's important to note, like when I was mentioning that about how a lot of the cisnormative couples that I know they keep a lot of secrets from each other, and I mean privacy is important. Having a sense of boundary for one's dominion over oneself is extraordinarily important. I'm all about that. Um, but it is, I think, important. Like I said, to see that there are lines running through all of this. You like to get tattoos maybe, or Mm -hmm. you like getting spanked during sex, or maybe, you know, your hair gets pulled away, whatever it is that see how those sort of parallel this other community so that you, so that there isn't othering. And so you say, Oh, okay. I can kind of see that connection. I feel like, again, it's how we're, we're going to make this world smaller and more bonded is to see where the connections are instead of how different things are.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're all, we're all so similar. I mean, we have to be. Um, and, and a lot of people want to be standoffish and individualized and nobody wants to be marginalized. But mm-hmm. the thing, the thing that makes us special is our life experience. Other than that, we're all human. So there's so many similarities. Uh, genealogy says that nobody is more is a further relation than 57th cousin so we're all family
0: let's just let's just
1: embrace each other and and enjoy the journey together
0: and remember your safe word
1: (laughs) (laughs) absolutely
0: thank you so much Cauldron. i really appreciate your time and uh Since I had my technical uh, snafu, I appreciate that you did the recording of it. I'm so grateful. Thank you for that.
1: Oh, sure thing. Thank you. I've enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, it's been really fun. Everybody, thanks for listening. And again, as always, I'll put links on the links page of Hey Human Podcasts to make things easier. The books that Colton talked about and um, his website and his podcast and all that stuff. So thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please go to iTunes and rate and review Hey Human Podcast. Thank you.